Thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate uh, the sanctuary decorated for Christmas. It's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, Andrew did a lot of work on that. He actually did it almost twice. Uh, got church all decorated. We had a wedding here on Saturday. It wasn't a wedding associated with anybody in the church. Uh, so they were really surprised to come in and find the church decorated, and they demanded it be undecorated, uh, which was kind of funny. <laughs> so uh, Andrew was really a good sport uh, and, and compromised and did some undecorating and then redecorating last night late uh, with some others. Andy, thank you. He had help last night. Uh, 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 Pam and Tim, um, Melly and Chuck, uh, Wade, Casey, and myself, Judy, and Scott, Chad, Chad did a lot of work, yeah, so uh, it was uh, uh, elves last night, but, 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 but thank the Lord, it's beautiful, thank you guys so much. Um, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel, we're talking about giving yourself, uh, let's jump right in. I, uh, I, I wish I had more faith, I'm always, y'all know me by now, I'm, I'm uh, a chicken, uh, and uh, the gift of Jesus for the world gold just scares me. That's so much money. It's just so, so much money. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm so pleased to be in a church that would think like that. The missions committee set that goal. I didn't set that goal. Uh, I, I believe in that goal, though. I'm excited about it. I can't imagine where uh, the, Casey and I could give our money uh, and, and feel like we were doing more of God's work than to our gift to Jesus for the world. This offering, this one offering, allows us to send money directly to children at Good Shepherd Orphanage in Honduras. It allows us to provide clean water for families in Ganun Kadul. It allows us to support missionaries all around the world, missionaries like Keith McKinley, whom you met today. Keith and his wife, Gail, have been on the mission field for 14 years, and though you just met them today, if you've been Southern Baptist and contributing uh, in a Southern Baptist church that participates in the cooperative program, that means you've been supporting Keith and Gail McKinley for the, all of their time in Indonesia. Uh, that's how the cooperative program works. It's wonderful. It's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, North American missionaries in the United States and Canada uh, every day. Gift of Jesus to the World supports all of these mission causes and, and, and all of this in this one offering. So be in prayer uh, for, for what you will give. In a relationship, when you first meet somebody, you're strangers for a while, maybe it's a new girl at work who sits at the desk next to you, or a new guy that's been playing basketball with the guys in the middle of the week, whatever. When you meet a stranger, there's at some point a line you cross where you stop being strangers and you actually become real friends, okay? Where's the line? Help me find it. Uh, what is a real friend? How do you know that a person has crossed the line and now they're a, a, a friend, a real friend? When you can share something and, and, and not be judged, like, like what do you share in there? Yeah, no, that's the point. When you allow them to see yourself, to, to see who you really are and you really don't feel the, the risk of being judged. Yeah, absolutely. When you can just be yourself. That means uh, maybe they could come to your house and you wouldn't feel like you had to clean everything up. You have friends like that? Yeah, if they're coming over and you don't feel like you have to clean up. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a real friend. They're not going to judge you. Um, based on whether there is dust under the nightstand. There is at our house. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, yeah, what else? Where's the line? How do you know? Yeah, Sherman? Yeah, 
Yeah. When you have a need and they show up, you know that's a real friend. Uh, when they just show up uh, because they know that you need them. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What else? One more. How do you know? It's a real friend. No longer strangers. Put them on your speed dial. Donna? Wow. When someone can start speaking honestly to you, give you honest, uh, honest feedback. You have broccoli on your teeth or a um, toilet paper hanging out the hem of your dress or whatever you have. Yeah, when somebody can, can be honest with you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, what about the relationship with the Lord? There must be a similar line that we cross when it's no longer uh, this distant relationship. It, it becomes an, an intimacy, a, a genuine personal relationship. When is that line crossed in our spiritual lives? Can you help me with that one? Yeah, Dad. Wow. Uh, My father says that it has something to do maybe with that moment when for a while you read the Bible because you have to, and then you find yourself reading the Bible and praying because you want to. There there becomes a, a real desire, a love for God's word and a love for his presence. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, when you can learn to distinguish God's voice, recognize when he's leading you, and and it's not just you leading yourself, learning to distinguish his voice from all the voices uh, that that rage inside our heads. What else? Yeah. Yeah. In those moments when we feel so undeserving uh, and God continues to love and accept us. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was one more. Jane, was your hand up? Was Yeah. Yeah, it becomes sort of an adult relationship where you're just transparent and honest with God. Yeah, absolutely trusting Him. Uh, one way or the other, understand that all of our answers pertain to worship. I think we cross that line with God when we truly become worshipers. What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? He said, God looks for worshipers. God seeks worshipers. When we become true worshipers, genuine worshipers, then we cross that line from a distant relationship with God to a genuine, close, intimate relationship of of value. With that, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is a a tremendous chapter to look at for worship. we get first a negative picture and then a positive picture, and then we wrap up with a worship critic. They're always there. Second Samuel chapter 6, let's start with verse 1. Uh, this is a story you know, so let's look for some new word tonight from God. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. 
He led them to Baalah of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart as it left the house, carrying the ark of God. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. But the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. Now, that'll kill your worship service every time. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Watch this. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it's still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord. Okay, David has two emotions here now when it comes to God. What are they? Anger and Fear, anger and fear. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Let's just stop right there for a second. Let's stop right there. If this is a picture of worship, we've got to stop and ask, what, what kind of picture is this? It's, it's disturbing. Understand, what you think about God, what you really think about God, will always be reflected in the way you worship him. Understand? What you really think, not what you say you think or what you wish you thought, but what you truly think will always be reflected in the way you worship him. And in the same token, the way you worship him will genuinely reflect the way you think about God. So let's take a look at, at this particular worship service. It starts out with David, King David, who has a genuine, earnest desire to bring the ark of the Lord back home. Why do you think he wants to do this? What's his desire? It's a symbol of God's presence, and, and whether or not he had other motives, whether he just wanted to have it like a trophy there for his own glory, I don't know about that. But I do know that David was a man who, with a large part of his heart, loved God's presence, longed and lingered for God's presence. Absolutely. Worship always begins and depends upon an awareness of God's presence. And that's what makes it so sad that, it, that in, in statistics over and over and over, uh, surveys of worshipers in the United States, the great majority, I don't mean a few, I mean the great majority, 70, 75, sometimes 80% in surveys, of the people who go to church every Sunday say that they rarely, if ever, feel God's presence. And many of them say they've never felt God's presence. What are they doing in church? 
what do you do in worship if, if you really don't recognize and acknowledge God's presence? What, what's happening in churches across the United States, across the world, if people aren't genuinely entering into and recognizing and somehow dwelling in God's presence? It's, it is about God's presence. It, it's God's presence. What do you know about God's presence? None of, none of us are experts, let's be, be honest, but what do you know? What can you tell us? What can you share of, of, of what you've learned or what you know or what you wonder about God's presence? What can you say? Lives are changed. Yeah, lives are changed. Today, Cody Dickerson came in my office uh, during the 10 o'clock hour to talk about salvation. It's, it's amazing because Cody says, I, I've been this one kind of guy my, my, my whole life, but I, I have started coming to Woodburn Baptist Church and I've started hearing the word of God and, and I've been opening myself and opening myself to the Bible and opening myself to God and I've been praying. And, and Cody says, I'm changing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm changing. Yeah. And all the people who know him say, this is a different guy. He's different. He's being changed. It, it, it's the truth that in the presence of God, our sin melts away. You can't linger in the, in the presence of a holy God and not be made holy as he is holy. Do you understand that? His holiness consumes the, the, the filth in me. There's a transformation in God's presence, sure as anything. What else? What do you know? Peace? Yeah, there is a, a real peace in, in his presence. So that doesn't mean that everything is peaceful. It's a peace that... Passes understanding, Paul says. That means there's a peace that's there when it shouldn't be there. It's beyond understanding. Can't explain it why there's peace in that situation. But, but when God is present, there's, there's, there's just a peace. If you were to talk to some of the 70% of people who say, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I've never felt God's presence. What would you say to them? Never felt, I don't know if I've ever been in God's presence. How do you know God's presence? What would you say? Yeah, William, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it goes with what Jesus says. You, you, you seek and, and you find. You knock and the door will be open. There, there's a very important obligation of our own to come uh, seeking God's presence and waiting for God's presence and uh, hoping for God's presence. It, it, a lot of it is attitude. William says if you don't come into worship with the right frame of mind, uh, you'll never know God's presence. Yeah, certainly. What else? Yeah, you can't just go through motions like everybody else. This isn't a show. It isn't somehow uh, th that we just follow one another. We're all responding to some presence that we can't see. We're all responding to God's presence. And Chris says you can't just go through the motions. You have to feel his presence. Yeah, Josh, what were you going to say? Yeah, be still 
and know that I am God, the scripture says. Josh says you got to turn out the distractions. You just absolutely have to begin to uh, thin out, uh, clear out our minds, our hearts, and begin to listen for him. Yeah, his presence. That's the word we use, a, a, a presence. Have you ever been in a room and you thought you were by yourself and then you're, say, in my case, I'm home and uh, I don't realize my wife's home, but she comes in a room and before I see her, I can feel her. You, you ever done that? You ever experienced that? Um, where someone walks up and you don't see them, but you, 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 you have that sense that there's somebody here with me. Uh, often in worship, that is the, that's the kind of, and that's lame, that, that fails to describe it, but there's that sense that you can really feel God's presence, and you can recognize that. When, when, when God comes near, those who are seeking and, and, and those who will clear out their minds, you'll sense that presence. You'll know his presence. Yeah, we, we skip that step, don't we, woman? We skip the whole part about just being still and, and, and coming into God's presence. Many of us, when we get to church, and even though we say we're coming to worship, we skip that step where we silently stop and recognize his presence. Understand that we're drawing into his presence and stop and acknowledge and begin to realize that, that he's present. Feel and, and, and draw into his presence. That's the vital first step in worship that many of us just don't bother uh, to, to linger through. We have to draw near and, and realize his presence. So David is bringing the ark of God near uh, in order to have God's presence, in, in order to, to be near him. He, he led his troops. They go down. They get the ark of God. It's enthroned between the cherubim. Verse 3, they place the ark of God on a new cart, brand new cart. See, they, 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 they go to expense here. Bring it from Abinadab's house. It's on a hill. You got two guys, Abinadab's sons. They're, they're guiding the cart as it left the house. And then what else is happening? They got music, it's contemporary music, it's traditional music, it's everything you want. They just have instruments and it is a joyful celebration. This is the most magnificent service you've ever, ever seen. They are praising, they are singing, it is loud, it is rolling, it is beautiful, and then it comes to a screeching halt. What happens? One of the oxen stumbles. Stupid ox, one of the oxen stumbles. The ark of God on this brand new cart, it begins to topple. Now that would be horrible. This is a sacred, holy object, and it's toppling. It's about to topple. And Uzzah, being someone who loves the Lord, being someone who wants things to go right, he reaches out to steady the ark, to keep the ark from toppling. Good idea, bad idea. Good idea, bad idea. Do you really want the ark of God just to go spilling out on the street? Do you really want to let it just fall? I mean, is that what he's supposed to do? Just let it fall? Good idea or bad idea? <laughs> Turns out to be a bad idea for him. Yeah. What's the situation? Help us. Yeah, there are very specific instructions for moving the Ark of the Covenant. 
Very, very specific instructions recorded in the book of Numbers, recorded in more than one place. There's a specific group of the Levites, the only ones allowed to move it. And before it is moved, there are elaborate instructions for covering it. It's not supposed to be put on some sort of wagon. It's supposed to be carried how? Poles. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the Ark of the Covenant is designed with little slots where the poles slide in, people. If God wanted it on a cart, it'd have been on a cart. It'd have had wheels in the first place. Understand? It's to be carried on poles by very specific members of the Levites. The instructions are clear. How did they miss that part? They got the part about a new cart because, I mean, who wouldn't rather come rolling in with some slick wheels, you know, with those spinning rims and stuff? I mean, I'm sure it was a nice cart and all. And they had music, lots of music. I mean, somebody planned a fantastic music service. And yet, God's anger is stirred. What's God's problem? Come on. I mean, what's the problem here? Why would worship turn deadly? I mean, a man is dead at the end of this service. It's a pretty bad service. Why is God angry? Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, it, it may be an elaborate parade going here. It may be a nice cart and some really fantastic music, but it's obviously not for God. It's not about God. They haven't considered what God wants because God is clear in what God wants. So understand, they may call it worship. They may think they're in his presence. They may think it's a joyful thing, but God wants none of it. God wants none of it. What does God want? He wants obedience. He wants obedience. So understand, poor Uzzah, for all of Scripture, he's the guy that gets you know, plastered here by God and the, by touching the Ark of the Covenant. But understand, this is a situation that was wrong long before he reached out and touched that. It, it, was, going to, it was going to blow up all over them. So they park it. They park it at a man's house. They just park it. David is angry at God. He's afraid of God. And for three months, they just don't worship. Yeah, They just neglect it. It's just gone. They give up. Amazing. Let's pick up right there. Let's move on. This is good. Verse 12. Then King David was told, hey, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. Interesting. The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom back to the city of David with a great celebration. Okay, David decides to try this again. What is it that makes him decide to try it again? It's the same thing that made him want to do it in the first place. He's reminded of something here, and again, it's fundamental to worship. He's reminded of the goodness of God. God is good. God is good. We may not always understand why God does what he does. We may not fully be able to understand Uzzah somehow collapsing and being fried and obliterated in the middle of what was supposed to be a good worship service. I can't explain that, but somehow I still know God is good. 
And though there are things that I'll never understand and never explain in this life, there's something in my heart that continues to believe and cry out for the goodness of God. And David now once more wants that ark. He wants God's presence. He wants the blessings of a good God. So David went there, brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now understand, this is going to take a long time. This is going to take a long time. Because every six steps, they stop and do what? They sacrifice a bull and a calf. Anybody ever been a part of some sort of hog killing? Or, or you, you ever killed animals? Yeah. Was that pretty quick work sermon? All day? Yeah? Were y'all any faster over there? Who else had, who else done it? Were y'all faster? Rhonda, were y'all faster at your house? Y'all just made a day of it, huh? Had a... Yeah. Well, they're doing a bunch at one time, too, because understand, six steps is not very far to start slaughtering uh, uh, again. Why all of this? Why all of this? This is expensive. Understand, livestock are wealth. This is very expensive. It's also very slow. And it couldn't be as entertaining as that great music show that was happening three months ago. But what's the difference here? Absolutely. This is about God now. This is about God. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. That's a nice way to put it. The priestly garment was an undergarment, okay? He is dancing in his boxer shorts if, if, or, or tidy whities whichever way you want to picture him. He's dancing in nothing but undergarments. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. She hated him. This is his wife. When she sees his love for God, she hates him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. And then all the people returned to their homes. Now, that's a real worship service. You get to eat. You get to eat. When David returned home to bless his own family... Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person would do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord. I was dancing before the Lord. What's he saying to her? Yeah. yeah, honey, I wasn't dancing for you. Yeah, I was not dancing for you. For that matter, I wasn't dancing for the servant girls either. I didn't even see them. I didn't know there were any. Yeah. David's a different man this time around. Different. He was the guy that used to be really angry, fearful of God. 
Now he's dancing joyfully. Now, kind of a wild man. Kind of making a fool of himself. I mean, we don't necessarily know that he could dance. You understand? He could dance like some of us in his underwear. You don't even want to picture it. You don't even want to see that. And that's what Michael's telling him. David, nobody wanted to see that. Nobody, you, you were dancing like a drunk, vulgar man. Nobody wanted to see that. Yeah. What's the lesson about worship here? Humility. David is humble. How is he humble? I agree with you, but, but let me just ask, how is it humble to dance in public in your underwear? I mean, I think of a humble person as somebody who sort of stays out of the spotlight. I don't see a humble person, you know, in his tidy whities you know, uh, up. I mean, you know, how is that humble? Everybody's looking at him. I mean, he is, he is at the front of the whole thing dancing wild, and he strips off to do it. How is that humble? What kind of humility does God want from us? Because obviously if this is humility, I need some help. What's humility, Scott? Yeah, often what we call humility is still a very extreme kind of self-focus. We're still very, very self-absorbed, very self-conscious. Sometimes when you come into worship, you, you really do sort of want to worship, but then you get really self-conscious, don't you? You start singing, and then all of a sudden you start listening to your own voice, and you think, oh my goodness, I can't sing. I, I can't sing. And I bet the people around me wish I'd quit, so what do you do? You just quit. Yeah, you become very self-conscious. You want to stand or you want to raise your hands or maybe you want to come to the altar and kneel in prayer, but, but you get really self-conscious and you stop yourself. You, you stop yourself. You, you tell yourself, no, if I go to the altar, then it'll just make the invitation go a lot longer and I know everybody's ready to go home. I've already seen uh, Don Clark put a purse on her arm. I mean, I know that people are going home. Uh, we get really self-conscious and we begin to turn worship off in our own heart because we focus on ourselves. Yeah. Humility is forgetting yourself. It's just forgetting yourself. It's not thinking about yourself at all. If you get to worship or in any moment in God's presence and your thoughts go back to yourself, you've stopped worshiping. You stopped worshiping. At any moment, if you begin to think about what you like as opposed to what God would like, then understand, you've stopped worshiping. Understand, Michael cannot worship because Michael is a critic. Michael is not in the moment. She's not aware of God's presence. She's just watching worship, and she has a thing or two to say about it. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like it. But what does David tell her? Honey, it wasn't for you. It wasn't for you. I mean, she's like Carrie Ann and Abba, you know, giving the dance an eight or a seven or a four, but, but he just says it wasn't for you. That dance wasn't about you at all. It, it was for the Lord. I danced for the Lord. Understand, two things in worship. You forget yourself and you give yourself. You, you, you forget yourself and you give yourself. There is this amazing 
overabundance of slaughter that day, the animals, the bulls, the goats. It must have been the bloodiest processional ever. You understand that? Every six steps, slaughtering a full-grown animal and a calf, every six steps, this entire walk is a walk on blood. It's all blood. Do you really think, though, that the sacrifice of animals was what pleased God? Because remember, the sacrifice of animal, of, of cattle, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You can't give God cows that he already owns all the cows. You see, they belong to him. There's really only one thing that I can possibly give God that isn't already his, and that is my, myself, my worship, my praise. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it. it. It belongs to him in the sense that he's worthy of it. But it's the one thing that I can withhold from God that he can't or won't simply just take. So do you see the real sacrifice here? The, the beauty of this moment is not so much the slaughter of the animals. It, it is David's self-forgetful sacrifice of praise. He gives himself. He gives himself in praise. He gives himself in worship. And it's joyful. Turns out it doesn't please everybody. But it pleases the only one who matters. If our theme this month is, is give yourself, then back it all the way up. If there's a line that we cross where we truly give ourselves to God, then, then I would say that's a line that we cross in worship. It's a line we cross in worship. You can't give yourself to a God that you don't know. And you can't know a God in whose presence you've never, ever knelt. You, you, you cannot praise a God whose presence you don't feel, whose presence you don't acknowledge you can only give yourself in worship. And in the presence of this God, in the presence of this holy and beautiful and loving and amazing God, there's just nothing else you want to do. There's nothing else appropriate to do but just to forget yourself and, and give yourself and worship him. Forget yourself. Give yourself. This is worship. And our whole life is supposed to be a life of worship. Let's have a word of prayer. God, in the silence of this moment, come into this room. Lord, as we silently wait for you, help us not to think about anybody else, no one around us. Help us just to acknowledge that you are here. You are here. Your invisible presence here. Your Holy Spirit surrounding us like the air we breathe.
God, we are in your presence. We could give you sacrifices of money. We could give you tithes and offerings. We could fill envelopes from here to howdy, Lord, with, with checks and coins. and We could do elaborate deeds of service for you, Lord. We could teach or we could sing or we could follow some order of worship that someone else designed. We could do all sorts of things, Lord, but there's only one thing that you truly desire and only one thing appropriate for us. That is that we would just give ourselves. It would be a shame, Lord, for us to come and go from this house tonight having withheld the only thing that you really wanted from us today. Ourselves. Our praise, our We know you're here in the stillness and silence. We know that we are not alone. May we come to love your presence, Lord God. May we learn to worship you. Allow us, Lord, to give you ourselves tonight. In this moment, Lord, we are all yours. We are all yours. We pray in your precious name.